good message. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Well, I uh, I told the first service that the technical difficulties were my fault because I changed something and the system didn't like it. So what you're going to see today, now that we got it back up and running, uh, is I'm actually going to put the scripture up there so you can see it there. Um, there's one caveat to that, though. I want you to look in your Bible still. I cut and paste that stuff in there. There could be a mistake. I can still make a mistake. Look at your Bibles. Don't give up looking in your Bibles, okay? So last week, let's talk about last week. We started with a pretty dark story, right? We had Eli's sons, and they were uh, they were stealing from God. Remember, they were, they were taking the fat that was supposed to be burned as a pleasing aroma to God, and they were stealing that and keeping it for themselves. And then there's that three-pronged pork guy that went around, and he would stick his little fork in there and try and grab T-bones out and, and New York strips and ribeyes, right? They wanted the best cut. And if they didn't give it to him, he, he had Tiny with him. Remember Tiny? Tiny would muscle in there and take the ribeye anyway. We also read that they were, they were sleeping with the women that were supposed to be taking care of the temple, committing indecent acts. And Eli didn't rebuke them until he was very old, right? And you remember, it was kind of a milk toast rebuke, right? He didn't say, like when he said to Hannah, he was like, stop drinking, put away your wine, right? He was very firm with her. With Eli and his sons, he was like, I've heard, I've heard some things. And remember, God is really powerful, right? Never, never did he say, stop doing that. What are you doing messing with the women? Why are you taking the fat? Don't do that. He never rebuked them. And because of that, we saw a man of God come to Eli with a, with a pronouncement of judgment, right? Which is ironic because Eli's the high priest, right? Why isn't God talking to the high priest? He has to send a man of God to Eli. And he tells them all about this terrible destruction that he's going to see. How his, his family's going to collapse and, and the people that don't die right away are going to be beggars, basically. They're going to beg for a position at the tabernacle there just so they can have a loaf of bread or a piece of silver. And God says, you're old, right? And heavy, right? He's, he's heavy. You're not going to see all this come to fruition. But I will give you a sign. And when this happens, you know that this whole thing is going to come true. And that sign was both of his sons would die in the same day. But in the midst of all this sin-caused chaos and judgment, we saw light, right? We saw Samuel, the baby who, who was, was born out of prayer, right? His mother's desperate pleas with God. And then once she got him, she gave him right back to God again. We saw that the child that was surrounded by debauchery and sin. I mean, think about it. This, this, this little three-year-old comes to the temple where the high priest is, is not rebuking his, his sons. His sons are singing the three-pronged fork guy out and tiny. And, and presumably there's more people involved in this. So he's just surrounded by people that are not doing what God wants them to do. And yet, he ministered before the Lord. We see that several times throughout there. And last week, right before the man of God pronounced the judgment on Eli and his family, we saw that he was continuing to grow in stature with both God and men. This boy were growing in stature. Today we're going to keep going down a pretty dark road with Samuel. Although we need to be careful not to overly personalize this text to ourselves, there are truths 
that transcend 12th century BC all the way to 21st century AD. Right? We're going to talk about those in a second. But if you would now, please turn to uh, Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, if you ran out the door today and you forgot your Bible, just shoot your hand up and we'll, we'll grab your Bible. Anybody need one? All right, everybody's good? Okay, good. Um, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to cover the whole chapter, but to begin with, I just want to read uh, through verse 10. See up there. Sorry, there's a lot of, a lot of words there, so I had to, had to smash it in there. But uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Now the boy Samuel was ministering before to the Lord before Eli, and the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at the time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. That God called Samuel. And he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again to Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the Lord. And Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as David prayed in Psalm 25. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as I said before, uh, we read the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, and we need to understand that while the Bible was written for us, um, it's not necessarily directly applicable to us as individuals. I'm thinking now of Leviticus chapter 1, where towards the end, God gives details on how to slaughter a dove uh, as a sacrifice. It's pretty graphic, so I will spare you the details, but anyone here who has ever butchered an animal can probably understand but we don't offer blood sacrifices anymore, right? Right, right. Hard to remember. The first service did not say right, so I had to emphasize that because I wanted to make sure we're not offering blood sacrifices out there. <laughs> a little creepy. Oh, we don't, because Jesus was the once for all sacrifice, and therefore we don't need the details on how to perform blood sacrifices. But we can still derive truths from the text that we can then apply to our walk. God. Right, we can look at the destruction of an animal in the Old Testament, and we can understand that it's a picture, it's a symbol of the cost of sin. And, and we understand that sin demands payment, right? It demands atoning through the death of an innocent substitute. We have truths like that 
in our passage today. Truth like what we see in verses 1 through 4 is that display what happens when you suppress God's word in your life. And verses 1 through 4 are kind of like those horrible videos we used to have to watch in driver's ed. Did anybody ever take driver's ed at, at public school? Yeah? We had a bunch of teenagers in the front row the first one. They were looking at me like I had a horn on my forehead there. <laughs> Back then, right, we did it at the cafeteria, and the gym teacher would come in, right, and he'd set up that the reel, right? It wasn't even a video. I should call it a video. It's a reel. And, and he'd start up and then see this beautiful scene, right? And uh, the trees and there's some birds and stuff, right? And the camera would slowly pan. And all of a sudden, you'd see this horrible car accident with like bodies laying out of the car and everything. And then the, that voice would come over and it would say, if only Susan had put her lipstick on at home. Right? <laughs> there was no trigger warnings there, right? You just, bodies. Holy cow. That's what verses 1 and 4 are like. We see the car crash that Israel has begun. And it's a warning to anyone who reads it. Beware. Pay attention. Watch where you're going. Look at the signs. And just like in those terrible driver's ed movies, the, the passage then moves on to the warning signs that the drivers in those terrible crashes ignored, right? In verses 5 through 15. And we see God calling to Samuel and telling him all about the penalty that Eli and his family will suffer because they don't heed the voice of the Lord, which will, for us today, emphasize the truth that we need to listen for God's word in our lives. No, I'm... I'm not talking about walking around and waiting to hear somebody say your voice and then say, Speak, Lord, for your servant's listening! Right? You're going to get some weird looks and say, wait, you do that. What I'm talking about today is the way that God speaks to us now in the New Testament era. era right? Through his holy word, the Bible, God's message to us, the complete message. Well, continuing the, the driver's ed analogy, uh, eventually the real one's out and Right, and the lights come back up. And the gym teacher will stand up and explain that what happened in the movie that we just watched doesn't have to happen to us if we just learn from what we watched. And he explains that we should listen to the warnings and, and the signs of the, of the movie and we will stay safe. And we'll see in verses 16 through 21 how the complete and accurate proclamation of God's word in our life is the one thing that will keep us safe. Safe from the horrible fate of Eli and his family. Safe from something far worse than a car crash. But safe from the wrath of God. As we're wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. So let's get to it, shall we? First, the car crash. Verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. And visions were infrequent. Verse 1 gives us a, a, a very indefinite indication of time gone by, right? It just says now. Now. And so he, he could be 17, he could be 15, we don't know. We just know that some time has gone by since the man of God came to Eli and, and warned him. And we saw several indicators in chapter 2 that Samuel was ministering and growing before the Lord. And in verse 26, right before the man of God came, uh, in chapter 2, we see that Samuel was growing in stature with both God and men. And here he is again, verse 1, ministering to the Lord before Eli. So far, so good, right? But then we get this. And the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Rare indeed. 
And so far in Samuel, not that great to get, right? The only other word of God that we receive so far is from the man of God, where he pretty much drops the boom on Eli and his sons, right? But why? Why was the word of the Lord so rare in those days? Well, I've mentioned it several times, but I'll say it again. This was during the time of the judges. And the whole chapter, the whole book of, of Judges has some pretty dark stuff going on, right? But the last story we read in Judges is particularly disgusting. You see that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They allowed, uh, this allowed the horrible and confusing story to take place. And time doesn't permit us to read the whole thing. It spans several chapters. But it goes a little something like this. There was a Levite. He had a concubine. He goes and he, and he stays at this fellow's house. And, and in the middle of the night, just like in Sodom and Gomorrah, the men of the town get up and they want to engage in relations with him, right? And they don't get the men, but they do get the guy's concubine. And they brutalize her through the night to the point where she dies. And the next morning, the Levite finds her. And in his anguish, he chops her up into 12 pieces and he sends them out to Israel, right? You, you'll see that later. Saul does that with, with oxen, not with, a, not with a lady, but with oxen. But it's a call to arms. And so all of Israel comes marching out, ready to fight. And they find the Levite, and they're like, who did this? We're going to take him out. This is, this is disgusting. And he tells them what happened. And it just so happened that that was a town in Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin stood up for the town, so it sparks this civil war. And there's a huge battle, right? Like 100,000 casualties. All of the women and children uh, from Benjamin are wiped out, and only 600 men escape up into the rocks, right? And they get away. And right about that time, Israel wakes up, and they're like, what are we doing? We've almost wiped out an entire tribe of Israel. So what do they do? All these wily coyote super geniuses figure out that they have a way to make sure the, the, the tribe of Benjamin survives. What they're going to do is they're going to determine which group of Israelites didn't come to fight. And then they find out there was this one town that didn't come to fight. And so they go in and they kill everybody except for the virgins. And they take those virgins and they give them to the Benjaminites who lost their wives and children already, right? And they give them to them and they say, okay, there you go. Sounds pretty terrible, right? I'm not done. You see, there were only 400 virgins and there's 600 men in the rocks. So what are they going to do? Because right at the beginning of all this, they made a vow before God that they would never give one of their daughters to somebody in the Benjamite tribe. But they come up with another wily, coyote, super genius plan. And in Shiloh, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was and everything, um, they, they had a fair, and at one point the ladies would come out and dance, right? And so what they said was to the Benjaminites that didn't get one of the 400 virgins, they said, we're going to set you in these trees right here, and I want you to watch. And if you see a girl you like, snatch her. She's yours. Right? Because we said we couldn't give you our daughter, but if you take her, our hands are clean. And Judges ends with, in those days, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Still curious why the word of the Lord was rare in those days? And visions were infrequent? Remember, when we were going through Galatians, I told you about what the Israelites were supposed to do when they went into the promised land, and they did this. 
there was a valley that they went in and there were huge boulders along the side of the valley, right? And they went in and they whitewashed them. And then they took stones and they scratched God's law in big letters on those stones. And then they scratched the penalty for disobeying God's law in those stones, right? And then they lined up on either side of the valley and they shouted back and forth, you know, if you do this, you'll be cursed. If you do this, you'll be blessed. Blah, 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 blah. And then they had a huge altar at the end. And they had a huge sacrifice there at the end. And there's this, so, so anybody that walked by afterwards would see the law of God, the punishment for disobeying the law of God, and then this huge rock altar blackened with stone. Israel is starting to look like those blackened stones right now, right? The nation is evil. Their high priests and the priests of the temple are wicked. And I'd love to sit here and I'd love to tell you, man, thank goodness we got past that, right? But if you look around, we're not past that. Our nation continually makes decisions that not only dishonor God, but sometimes outright deny and even mayor. And if you turn the news on for longer than five seconds, you can easily see that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Turn with me, if you would, to Amos, an Old Testament prophet there. Amos 8. Uh, Amos 8, starting in verse 11. Amos 8, verse 11. This is all about what God is going to do. He's, he's judging Israel, not for these sins. This is later for more wickedness that they've done. But he, he passes this judgment on them. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for the hearing, for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north, even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. When Allison and I moved out to Brentwood, uh, we went church hunting. And we went to several churches. And one of our, the biggest things that we wanted to see was, obviously, if they're going to stick to the Bible, right? If they're going to be biblical. But do they read from the Bible? Do they use the Bible in the sermons? Or is it a single verse and the, the pastor then proceeds to tell you everything he thinks? Right? I want to know what the Bible teaches, right? right? So we looked and we looked and we looked and we looked. And finally we came here, and that was the Sunday that Pastor Holland was preaching. And we sat down, we looked around, and said, these people are nice, you know, nice little space. So far, so good. Right? And then Pastor Coleman got up here and said, if you forgot your Bible, there's Bibles in the back here. We'll have somebody bring them out to you. Let's open up our Bibles and take a look. And we knew right then that unless he got up here and preached some heresy, this is where we wanted to be. Right? When we look at our nation, our churches, and sometimes even our own lives, we can't overlook the devastation that comes when God's word is not proclaimed. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes, not what God says to do. And if we are all following our hearts, as our culture loves to tell us, right? Follow your heart in whatever you do. Well, Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. I don't know if I want to follow that. The danger we all face is suppressing God's word in our lives. There are signs everywhere in the Bible that want us to stop or to yield. And if we aren't paying attention, we'll blow right through them. 
And when we get to that point in the woods where the two roads diverge and our heart tells us to take the path less traveled, we may get T-boned by sin that we didn't even notice and end up in the ditch. Speaking of ending up in the ditch, let's look back at our passage. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. There's a beautiful metaphor there, right? We look at Eli, and he's lying down, and his eyesight's getting dim, and he's not even near where the Ark of the Lord is. Remember, Samuel's sleeping by the Ark of the Lord, but Eli's off in his own place, and Eli's drawing down. And, and he's growing dim, and he could not see well. Remember him yelling at Hannah, right? He couldn't discern that she was praying. But then you get... The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Up to this point, I've shared some pretty dark happenings in the nation of Israel. And I've even had us look at our nation and ourselves. But there's, there was a, definitely a dimming going on in 12th century Israel. Um, and there's definitely a dimming going on in 21st century America. But the lamp of God has not yet gone out. I want to make this a little personal here. Maybe you're here today and you felt a dimming in your life. Maybe the world has clogged your eyes and is robbing you of a clear picture of God. Maybe you're looking at life and examining who you've become or what you've done. And you realize that you've been suppressing God's word in your life. Have no fear, my friend, for God's lamp has not yet gone out. No matter if you're a believer who's done some backsliding, if there's sin in your life that feels overwhelming, something that you keep locked away in that quiet place of your heart that only you and God know about, just remember that no matter how many steps you take away from God, there's only one step back. Amen. You can turn back to him today. You can pray for strength. You can pray for wisdom. And maybe even the help of another believer to help you deal with that sin and remove the cloudiness from your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to turn from your sin. You've never made that decision to fall at the foot of the cross, to accept Jesus as your Savior and place your faith in his perfect righteousness. Today's the day. At the end of this service, there will be an opportunity for you to do just that. Because the lamp of the Lord has not yet gone out. Looking back at our passage now, let's move to the second truth today. The truth that we need to listen for God's word in our lives. Starting there in the second half of, of verse 3. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. That the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And then he ran to Eli and he said, here I am. And he called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am. And he called me. But he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went down, went and lay down in his place. 
the Bible tells us that uh, both men and women are made in the image of God, right? So um, there are some times where you can kind of see a little bit more of the male side of God coming out here. And in, in this particular passage here, maybe the dad part of God coming out there, because I just have to look at this and chuckle, right? I would, I would totally do this to my kids, right? Tyler! We go run into Allison, look, I'm here, you know? Three times he does this, right? Three times! I, I just gotta think maybe God's just chuckling a little bit. I don't know, maybe I'm just weird that way. But we see here a picture of how rare it was to hear from the Lord in those days. Even the high priest didn't comprehend that God is speaking to Samuel until the third time it happens. And when I first read this, I was a little harsh with Eli. Why didn't he comprehend what was happening? But the more I thought about it, the more it made me think. Why would Eli think that the word of the Lord would come to a boy? Not even a priest. Not even a man of God like before. It's, it's kind of like the CEO calling down to the front desk attendant with news about the company and then telling the attendant to be his spokesperson for the company. Right? He just jumps right over the top of all the VPs and the CIOs and the managers and the junior managers and he goes right to that entry level position. And the Bible doesn't say this, so this is 100% purely a man's conjecture. But I wondered as I read this passage over and over and over again this week, did Eli understand what was going on the first or the second time? Was he maybe hoping it wasn't real? That the Lord of hosts had turned his back on, on his high priest? If Eli didn't truly figure out what it was until the third time, he surely knew that something was wrong. God wasn't following the rules. And it doesn't surprise us at all to see God usurp the religious hypocrites, right? The whitewashed tombs, the brood of vipers, when they don't listen to the word of God. And if we find ourselves sitting here judging Eli for not listening to the word of the Lord, take care. Be careful. Because while Eli only had the Torah, right? A set of scrolls, the promise of a future Savior. We have the Bible. All of it. The whole story, from beginning to end. You, you can pull up your phone and you can pull up 15 different translations of the Bible, right? 15 different apps that, that you can do it. And you want it in Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, Chinese? Sure, click play. You don't feel like reading? Okay, no problem. Max McLean will read it for you. The word of God, right? Good. You don't like Max McLean? No problem. We've got YouTube, we've got Spotify, we've got Apple Store. There's thousands of people that will read the Word of God to you via that little space phone in your pocket. We have no excuse to not listen to the Word of the Lord. Never in history has God's Word been more available. Back to our text. Verse 10. Then the Lord came and stood and called his other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This call here, Samuel, Samuel, reminds us of when Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his only son. He said, Abraham, Abraham. Uh, it reminds us of Moses when he saw the burning bush. And God called out to him and said, Moses, Moses. Right? It's an indicator that something big is about to happen for both Samuel and the nation of Israel. Do we listen for God's word 
right then? Are we listening to God's word when he calls us to serve? Whether it's a pastor or a missionary or uh, even in, in your church. There's plenty of stuff to do. Or do we tell Samuel to go back to bed? I've done both. And my assumption is we all have one boy or another. But we know that God will call us to serve in his kingdom in one fashion or another. Are we listening for the word of the Lord? Back to the passage, verse 11. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Not one, both. Both ears were tingled. Literally, it means it will hurt their ears. It's kind of like when they're up here and like a microphone gets too close to a speaker. Everyone's like, oh, you know. That's, that's what the, that phrase means there. Their ears were tingled. In that day, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Parents, he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel laid down until morning. I bet he did. <laughs> you imagine? Notice the Bible doesn't say, so Samuel went back to sleep. It said Samuel went back and lay down. Right? He probably, probably stared at the ceiling all the rest of the time that he was in there, mulling over what he just heard. I was talking with Allison about this, uh, this part earlier this week, and she made a good point that, that I'd sort of glossed over in my study. You see, Eli was pretty much a father figure to Samuel. If you remember, Samuel came when he was three. Right? He'd served before Eli that whole time. So Eli was a father figure to Samuel. How many times did we read that Samuel served the Lord before Eli? When I studied it, I focused it on the fact that Samuel was going to have to tell arguably the most powerful man in Israel, oh, oh and his boss, what God had said. Both observations are true. Both are terrifying. But the first one just tugs at the heart a little more. The man that basically raised Samuel. The one that in a second, we'll see he calls him my son. He's already called him my son before. That's the guy that you have to go tell that God is going to obliterate your family. Not I mean, justly so. It wasn't for no reason that Eli and his family were being judged, but still. When we go through baptism classes, I like to point out what living for Christ entails. I take people to Luke 14, 26. Right? Luke 14, 26, and we read it together. It reads like this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I get the best reaction from the kids that are there with their parents. Right? Because then I turn to them and say, Google Johnny. Do you hate your parents? They got it. look at the parents. No, no. So then we talk about what that verse means, right? That if someone's going to follow uh, Jesus, they should absolutely obey the first or the fifth commandment, right? To honor your father and mother, right up to the point where the parent asks them to do something against God. Usually, I'll say something like, 
What if your parent asks you to steal something at the store or to murder somebody, right? Then we follow Jesus, not our father and mother. And although Jesus hadn't spoken Luke 14, 26 yet at this point, Samuel was facing that dilemma. The person that was probably most like a father to him was about to face judgment. Fortunately, Samuel had been up most of the night, so the morning wasn't too far away. And now it's time for our final truth today. The truth that the complete and accurate proclamation of God's word in our life is the one thing that will keep us safe and cause us to grow. Amen. And we read uh, second half of verse 15 there. Uh, you can go ahead one more slide there, Josiah. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, second half of verse 15. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Thank God for something to do, right? You never have to do something really bad, but you've got all these menial tasks you have to take care of first, so you, <laughs> you clean the, the stove really, really well before you have to go talk to your wife about something. <laughs> then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the visions of Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. He said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me from all the words that he spoke to you. Eli realizes the dilemma that Samuel faced, and he calls him to himself, and he charges him to tell me the, tell me the whole story. And you can sense the sorrow in that old high priest as he calls Samuel, and he says, my son. Maybe Samuel's the son that he always wished he had, right? And the old high priest, he leans down and he says, please, do not hide anything from me. And then I'm sure he, he sees the hesitation in Samuel's face, so he provides a little bit of stern encouragement to Samuel to complete this God-given task. He says, may God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me, all the words that he spoke to you. The agony that Samuel must have had as he recounted word for word the terrible judgment of God that Eli was to endure. It's the agony that every prophet, teacher, or preacher faces. To see the ones that you love and to have to tell them about the judgment that awaits if God is not honored. It can sometimes be a terrible feeling to, as Paul told Timothy, preach the word. And just like Eli warned Samuel, teachers and preachers today face that same threat. Turn with me, if you will, to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, bouncing back in the Old Testament quite a bit today. Ezekiel 3, um, starting in verse 17, we're going to read two verses. Ezekiel 3, 17. Son of man, he's, he's, this is God commissioning Ezekiel, right? He's getting him ready to go out and preach the word. Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, Warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way, that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I will require at your hand. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ as believers, right? And therefore we're free from the wrath of God. But to anyone, not just pastors, to anyone who teaches the word of God, there will be a greater accountability when God looks at what we've done here on earth. 
James tells us all about that. More accountability for how we act and, and talk about the word. I feel it. I hope any of you out there teaching it feel it. And I know that Samuel felt it. But nonetheless, he, he presses on in verse 18. He says, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, and this is Eli speaking, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Again, when I was reading this, I, I, I wanted to shout out to Eli. Why aren't you doing something? Look at the Bible there. It's full of stories of people. When, when God said, I'm going to wipe you out, they got in sackcloth and ash, and they fasted and prayed, and God relented, and he didn't do it. But then again, the more that I study it, the more I realize that Eli had already chosen not to do anything. He'd already had the warning from the man of God in chapter 2. And we don't read anything about Eli making things right. Look back at what God told Samuel to tell Eli in verse 13. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever. God told him. For the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. God was very clear. Your sons are doing this. You didn't rebuke them. I'm going to bring judgment. Right? At that point, put on some sackcloth, throw some ashes on your head, start praying, yell at your sons. Right? Do it! But he didn't. And so God has to go to Samuel, and he, and he says, his sons brought a curse on themselves and did not rebuke them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Eli understood that the moment had passed. For him, the lamp of the Lord had gone out. And in one final act of submission to the Lord of hosts, he says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Verse 19, it says, Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. <coughs> don't, don't shoot past that. It, it's easy to do, right? Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. Right? Thus. Thus says, go back and look at the last verse, and because of the last verse, this, right? So the last verse Samuel has to tell Eli this horrible story, this horrible thing that's going to happen to him. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. Don't miss that. Samuel was tested, and he obeyed God in an extremely difficult situation. And because of that tribulation, he grew. Remember this, because if you're not suffering now for the Lord, you will someday. But praise Jesus, it's for our growth. Turn to James. James uh, chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to go to verse 2. James 1 verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Amen. Don't worry. I'm not going prosperity gospel on you there. I'm not saying you will always drive a Mercedes. You will have as many twins as you want. Lacking in nothing means lacking in nothing in your relationship with Christ. Amen. You, you can be like Paul and you can be in prison, beat up, whipped, and you're still sitting there in prison rejoicing. Lacking in nothing. 
because Samuel obeyed God rather than man. We see in verse 20, all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The fall of Eli is cemented in stone and a new prophet rises. Then all Israel from the northernmost part, that's Dan, to the southernmost part, that's Beersheba, confirmed him as a prophet. It is a comforting light at the end of a very long, twisting, dark road. We're not completely out yet. Next week, we're going to see the word of the Lord come to fruition for Eli and his sons. But for today, driver's head is over. We watched the car crash that Israel had become by suppressing God's word. We learned that our culture's infatuation with following our hearts instead of the truth of God leads only to heartache, debauchery, and destruction. We saw the absolute necessity to heed signals given to us through listening to God's word in his holy Bible. And finally, we were taught by Samuel's example that the complete and accurate proclamation of God's word in our life is the one thing that will keep us safe in our drive through this world. We usually got donuts at the end of driver's ed. I don't have donuts. But I do have the bread of life to share with you. I'm going to pray now, but afterwards we're going to sing one last song. If you're with us today and you realize that you're on that road to destruction, and you realize you want to stop and you want to turn around and, and, and come to Christ, come down and see me. I'd love to share Jesus with you. If you want to just come down and pray, just spend some time praying with God while we sing, feel free. If you want me to pray with you, just grab me. I'll pray with you. But just remember, Old Testament is full of stories that are horrible and tragic. But we can learn from them. If we take these truths today and we apply them, our walk with Christ will be back in track. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your holy word, which 3,000 years later, we're still reading what happened back then, and it still applies, and it's still applicable because it is absolute truth. It is true truth. And as we go out our separate ways and we're exposed to our world and our culture that tells us uh, one person's truth is not necessarily truth, and this person's truth is better than that person's truth, or they're the same, we know that's not true. Your truth is the true truth, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we can rely on that. And we pray that you watch over us as we end our worship service now, Lord, as we go our separate ways. Please don't let this word fall on, on empty soil, Lord, broken. Find it on fire and begin in people's hearts so that we can impact this community, Lord, so that, that we can touch this world for We'll give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.